Welcome to journeywithjesus.net, a weekly webzine for the global church. I'm Daniel B. Clendenin. My essay this week is called Go. Jesus sends out the 72. It's based upon the lectionary readings for Sunday, July the 7th, 2013. One of the fascinating things about the Jesus story is how far and how fast it spread. The book of Acts begins in Jerusalem and ends 1,500 miles to the west in Rome. The wildfire also burned to the east. By the year 635, believers confessed Jesus as Lord in China. A hundred years after that, Syrian believers had spread the gospel to Baghdad, Tibet, and India. The Apostle Paul himself traveled 10,000 miles proclaiming the good news of God's love. How did this happen? Luke's gospel for this week gives us some clues. Jesus traveled from village to village, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is at hand. Follow me. He preached to the poor and healed the sick. This urgent message invited a radical response. Repent and believe the good news. And that's what many people did. They made a break with business as usual and followed Jesus. When Jesus saw Peter and Andrew fishing, for example, he invited them, Come, follow me. The Gospels dramatized their response. At once they left their nets and followed him. When Jesus later saw James and John fishing with their father Zebedee, the call and response were the same. They immediately left the boat and their father and followed him. Likewise, the tax collector Levi, he left everything and followed Jesus. In addition to these individual callings, Jesus appointed 12 followers as apostles, literally sent ones. Their collective response mirrors these individual calls. Speaking for the 12 apostles, Peter could say to Jesus, we have left everything to follow you. This calling of the Twelve hints at the movement's first organizational impulses. All three Synoptic Gospels grocery list the Twelve Apostles. All three lists put Peter first and Judas last. John's Gospel doesn't give such a list, but he refers to the Twelve three times, and throughout his Gospel he mentions nine of them by name. Jesus sent out the twelve to share what they had experienced. He told them to do what he did, preach, teach, and heal. Mark says that Jesus sent them out in pairs. 
A few pages later, the movement expands. And in this week's Gospel, Luke writes that, quote, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. Luke never names these people, and we never hear of them again. Since this is the only mention of them, we have no idea where they went, what they did, or what happened to them. Like many others before them, they too left families and homes to spread the message of Jesus about the kingdom of God. Who financed this fledgling cadre of gospel witnesses? Who underwrote these sent ones who had left their livelihoods and deserted family businesses? Luke is very clear. Prominent women who had left their husbands and families financed and traveled with the itinerating evangelists. He writes in chapter 8, 1 to 3, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, and also some women who had been cured of evil spirits and diseases. Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had come out. Joanna, the wife of Cusa, the manager of Herod's household. Susanna, and many other women. These women were helping to support them out of their own means. End quote. They must have been quite a sight. Newly appointed envoys with no formal training, an advanced logistics team for Jesus, and many women supporters. They were the first of those first believers in Acts 4.34 who had sold their lands and houses to support the Jesus movement. Although the larger group of 72 sent ones is clouded in historical obscurity, speculation about their identity has been impossible to resist. About half of the Greek text manuscripts say they were 72 sent ones. Other manuscripts give the number as 70. Both numbers can claim symbolic importance. <clears throat> were they formal apostles or merely disciples? The Orthodox prefer the former and more technical term. Western Christians prefer the, prefer the informal designation disciples. Luke, for his part, simply says that Jesus sent out 72 others. Several lists down through the centuries name the 72. As you'd expect, there are variations, omissions, additions, and corrections in these lists. Many names in the lists are people mentioned in the New Testament. Some of the lists include several women among the 72. And that's a tantalizing historical tidbit if these women emissaries were technical apostles and not mere disciples. A work called On the Seventy Apostles of Christ, attributed to Hippolytus in the early 3rd century, lists 70 names. 
A hundred years later, Dorotheus of Tyre wrote The Choosing of the Seventy Holy Apostles. A ninth-century hymn writer named Joseph wrote an orthodox song to celebrate the Seventy. And in the 13th century, Bishop Solomon in Iraq made his own list in a Syriac manuscript called the Book of the Bee. The Catholic Encyclopedia acknowledges these lists, but concludes that they are, quote, unfortunately worthless, end quote. I suspect most Protestants would agree, but not the Orthodox in the East. They commemorate the 72 with the feast day every January 4th and honor their memory with individual feast days throughout the year. Whoever these people were, they modeled for us the radical response to the urgent announcement of Jesus. Go, says Jesus in Luke chapter 10, verse 3, the harvest is plentiful in a hurting world. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. If you wonder where to start or what to do, consider the epistle for this week in Galatians chapter 6. Bear one another's burdens. Do good to all people. That's the meaning and message of Jesus. It's what he sends us out to be and to do today, right where we are. And for further reflection, here's the ninth century canon for the Synaxis of the Seventy Apostles of Christ by Joseph the Hymnographer. Holy Apostles of the Seventy, Entreat the merciful God to grant our souls forgiveness of transgressions. O faithful, let us praise with hymns the choir of the seventy disciples of Christ. They have taught us all to worship the undivided Trinity, for they are divine lamps of the faith. Jesus sends out the seventy-two. For books this week, I review a title called Open Heart. The author is Ellie Wiesel. New York, Knopf, 2012. It's just 79 pages. On June the 16th, 2011, Ellie Wiesel went to the doctor with chest pains. When tests showed five blocked arteries, Doctors wheeled him straight to the operating room for open-heart surgery. Once again, Wiesel had escaped death. The experience of being on the threshold of the beyond, what he calls the Great Portal, gave rise to this little volume. As you would expect, Wiesel relives his life with Marion, his wife of 40-plus years his son Elisha, and his two grandchildren. There are also his hopes and dreams of current and future projects. Wiesel also turns to ultimate matters. He writes, 
As I face the gravity of this moment, I feel the need to search my soul. Am I ready? Have I done enough? Of course, has anyone ever done enough that they feel ready? And where is God in all the pain and suffering, both his and the world? He writes, now that I am confined to the hospital bed, that question arises again, obsesses me as it haunts all I have written. And, lover of insoluble philosophic problems that I am, I remain frustrated. Wiesel reaffirms the faith of his forebears. God is found in the questions, he says, as well as in the answers. However much we feel abandoned by God and betrayed by humanity, he writes, I believe that we must not give up on each other. We can choose hope over despair, peace instead of violence, and beauty over ugliness. In all the darkness we can live as light. Amidst all the suffering we can offer compassion. And in the last sentence of the book, a ringing affirmation. Wiesel writes, I know that eternities ago, the day after the liberation, when some of us had to choose between anger and gratitude, my choice was the right one. Elie Wiesel, a tiny little book called Open Heart. For movies this week, I review a film called Red Tails, 2012. This is not a great movie. <coughs> it's probably even a bad movie. But it tells an important story that nonetheless makes it worth watching. During World War II, the black pilots of the Tuskegee Airmen, who comprised the 332nd Fighter Group, fought two wars, one against the Germans and another against the over-racist policies of the American military. The movie opens with a quotation from a 1925 study by the U.S. War College that concluded, and I quote, Blacks are mentally inferior, by nature subservient, and cowards in the face of danger. They are therefore unfit for combat, end quote. Red Tails, the movie, shows how these patriotic, skilled, and brave pilots disproved these despicable stereotypes and broke through the many racist barriers. The title of the film comes from the signature paint jobs on the aircraft of the black pilots. I watched this film on HBO Comcast. The title, Red Tails. And for poetry this week, we continue our Celtic poems and prayers. This one is simply called The Dedication. Thanks to thee, O God, 
who brought me from yesterday to the beginning of today. Everlasting joy to earn for my soul with good intent. And for every gift of peace thou bestow on me, my thoughts, my words, my deeds, my desires, I dedicate to thee, I supplicate thee, I beseech thee to keep me from offense, to shield me tonight for the sake of thy wounds with thine offering of grace. The Dedication one of the 25 Celtic poems and prayers on our website. Thank you for joining me at journeywithjesus.net for Sunday, July the 7th, 2013. I'm Daniel B. Clendenin.